Welcome to the Better You Project, where we will be discussing health, hormones, and aesthetics while using a blend of functional and anti-aging medicine. To make sure you're up to date on this and what's going on in the practice, be sure to follow us on Instagram at udirecthealth underscore aesthetics, as well as our website, www.udirecthealth.com. The following discussion is the opinion of nurse practitioner Lexi Yu. It is not intended to diagnose or treat any conditions. Please speak to your healthcare provider for your personal concerns about your health. Now let's jump right into the show. What's up, everybody? It's Lexi for the Better You Project podcast, and today's topic is going to be about the thyroid. So this topic in particular is very um, one that I'm very passionate about because I do quite a bit of thyroid management. When we talk about the hormones um, in males and females, I think the one that often gets kind of swept under the rug is the thyroid. So when I talk about like four main hormones in females, it's thyroid testosterone, estradiol, and progesterone. Um, generally, you're going to find more thyroid issues with women than you, win, than you will with men. However, nonetheless, they affect everyone um, in very similar ways. An interesting statistic is that women are eight times more likely than men to have thyroid issues. So in my practice in particular, I see a majority of women, I would say about 90% of my um, patient population are female. So uh, for me to diagnose this is is probably a a daily occurrence. Um, A lot of times I see patients from either primary care offices, internal medicine practices, endocrinology offices, and a lot of times... You know, they may be on a prescription, however, they're just, they're mismanaged. They're, they don't know a lot about their condition. The only thing that they know is, is that they have a thyroid condition and that they're supposed to take levothyroxine or Synthroid. So um, a lot of times what I do is I bring them into the office. We go over um, some of the signs and symptoms, which generally, and here's the really hard part for what I do, is, is that a lot of these symptoms can look like everybody else. So testosterone deficiency can look like hypothyroidism. Progesterone deficiency can look like hypothyroidism. Estrogen dominance or estrogen uh, fluctuations can look like hypothyroidism. So they all look alike. And that's why it's really important to see a healthcare provider who is um, maybe a little bit more familiar with some of the more in-depth testing and subtle little nuances to some of the hormonal changes that are um, symptomatic of a particular hormone. You can kind of piece it together. Um, so some of the symptoms I commonly see for hypothyroidism, which is which is low thyroid, are things like brain fog, which I can't tell you how many times when I get a new patient request that's under the chief complaint, brain fog. Um, a lot of times I see patients with trouble losing weight, and that's oftentimes what brings them in. They'll say, you know, Lexi, I would really like to work on my weight, or can you do an in-body and macros? And yes, we can do all those things, but unfortunately, we got to fix the underlying cause. So maybe in conventional medicine, you know, they can tell you what you have. But I would say in my practice, we're going to figure out why do you have it, or what are, what are the things that we can do kind of naturally figure out some of this stuff. So some of the symptoms of brain fog, uh, we see a lot of constipation, we see depression, uh, we see fatigue, anxiety, some irregular periods is is another common symptom. Sometimes infertility, uh, miscarriages can be another symptom, feeling run down, tired. Uh, You might have more cramps like uh, muscle cramps. Um, Other issues that we might see is like the hair. Uh, The hair might be starting to fall out or thin. 
Um, sometimes you'll see in the, the latter part of the eyebrow, the hair starts kind of falling away there. Uh, we also sometimes see like the hair texture changes and you might notice that it's a little bit more dry and a little bit more coarse. Um, you just kind of feel like blah is the best way I can describe it. Now, some of the symptoms that you might see more on the Hashimoto side. So Hashimoto's is an autoimmune thyroid condition where basically your body's thyroid is, is attacking itself. And so some of those symptoms might be similar to what you're going to see in like subclinical hypothyroidism. Um, but the Hashimoto symptoms might be more on the lines of like reflux, eczema, um, like frequent colds, uh, like your immune system's just not working so great. Uh, sometimes we see gluten intolerances. That's probably a big one that we see. Uh, we might see more uh, bloating and gas. And a lot of times when I check blood panels, these poor patients are super vitamin deficient. And I, the big ones that I generally are going to see are like your B12 vitamins and your iron and your vitamin D, um, selenium. Those are all very, very common uh, ways that I try to naturally help the thyroid. But a lot of times that those are one of the diagnostic tools that I um, will check when I'm looking at thyroid. Here's what's really interesting. In school, we're taught that the active thyroid hormone is your free T3. The inactive thyroid hormone is your free T4. However, uh, in conventional medicine, the lab values that they're, that they're checking are going to be your TSH, which is your thyroid stimulating hormone. And if you're lucky, your doctor may check a free T4. So they're checking basically the stimulating hormone to see is there some biofeedback going on in the thyroid hormone. And then the free T4 to see, well, how much of inactive thyroid hormone do you have in your body? Unfortunately, this does not do us very good because a lot of times what I see with our patients is that they have a, convert, a conversion of T4 to T3 issue or their body just may not absorb T3 very well or they just don't have enough T4 to go around. So there's a lot of different issues I see when, when again, patients are mismanaged um, with hypothyroidism. So I guess the next question becomes, well, Lexi, what are the labs that you should draw? So me personally, again, I can't speak for all clinicians and all providers, but this is what I have been taught um, to, to really kind of get a good concept or a good idea of where the thyroid function is. And, and I draw a TSH, I draw a free T4, I draw a free T3, um, I draw TPO antibodies, which is going to determine or at least help me figure out, you know, are they Hashimoto's? Are they having an autoimmune response? Um, sometimes I check a thyroid globulin. So if they are coming to me and they already figured out that they are autoimmune, um, sometimes I go ahead and, and tack that on there. Um, another one that I will check sometimes is let's say I have a patient coming from an endocrinology office. So this is a very classic situation coming from an endo office and they're on like 175, uh, micrograms of synthroid. My goodness. And let's say, um, you know, they come in, they're like, I still don't feel very well. And, um, you know, I'm on all this synthroid or levothyroxine. So on that situation, what I may do is check a reverse a reverse T3. And what this is going to tell me, so if you think about T3 is like the gas to the car. So that's the gas to your metabolism. Well, reverse T3 is kind of like the brakes. So what this is going to do is it's going to gobble up that T4 that you're giving to yourself by taking your Synthroid, but instead of converting it into T3, which would make you feel amazing, it's making reverse T3. So some of the things that cause the production of reverse T3 are things that are going to be kind of traumatic to your body. So those would be things like an illness or a surgery or, and I see this um, 
if you are like cutting calories too much, those are not good things for the body. And so what's going to happen is, is your body's going to say, well, pump the brakes. We need to slow this down. And you're going to see a rise in the reverse T3. And so when I'm kind of looking at all these lab values and I'm trying to figure out, you know, what's going on in the patient, a lot of times I find that their body is not, is not very receptive to just general levothyroxine and synthroid. Unfortunately, levothyroxine and synthroid is probably one of the top three most common prescription drugs you're going to find in big pharma land. So um, it's unfortunate, but that's just how conventional medicine is. So when I get a patient, you know, I'm, I'm definitely willing to kind of work with what they got as far as insurance. Like, okay, well, this is what your insurance is going to cover. But a lot of times I find that um, the T4 is going to benefit if we help the conversion process. So the way that I help the conversion process of T4 to T3 is going to be, one, working on stress changes, um, uh, reducing their stress, uh, maybe working on adding in some adaptogens, which will help re- help regulate cortisol. That's a good way. So those are things like the ashwagandha and the rhodiola, euthera root, bacoba, those kinds of things. Another um, good one are things like selenium. Uh, another one is like zinc, iodine, iron, tyrosine, vitamin D, vitamin B12. So um, a lot of times what I will do is, you know, I have a thyroid patient or I have someone who's borderline thyroid patient. And I'll say, you know what, we need to get you on something like a thyroid support. And generally, you're going to find a thyroid support, and they're going to have a lot of these ingredients. Selenium, zinc, iodine, iron, tyrosine. Some of the biggest factors that uh, inhibit the T4 to T3 conversion are things like aging. Unfortunately, getting older makes it a little harder for T4, which is the inactive thyroid hormone, to convert into T3, which is the active thyroid hormone. Some other factors are going to be things like lifestyle choices, like alcohol, cigarettes, poor diet, toxin exposure, soy, um, kidney disease is a big one, liver disease, uh, low progesterone. That is a very, very common one. It's crazy how many times I put a female on maybe a thyroid support and just some supplemental progesterone. And voila, all of a sudden her thyroid, her T3 is in a respectable range, which is amazing. I love doing that because um, we avoided prescriptions and we fixed her thyroid. So that's pretty cool. Um, some other factors are things like pesticides, stress, radiation, soy. Um, so there's a lot of things that go into the conversion of T4 to T3 and the variables that can affect it. For me personally, when I see a new patient coming in, I think one of the biggest pitfalls in um, mismanagement of thyroid is, is that either physicians, nurse practitioner, PA, whoever's managing their care is not looking at the big picture here. So um, one of the biggest things that I that I just can't wrap my head around is, is let's say you have a patient with uh, hypothyroidism, right? They are getting Synthroid or, or Levothyroxine. So that is synthetic T4. Well, if we go back to the beginning of this podcast, T4 is the inactive thyroid hormone. So what is happening is the the big pharma, the conventional medicine box, and I'm not knocking it. Like I think, I mean, there's a time and a place, but what we're missing here is is that you're assuming that the patient's body is going to be able to take this levothyroxine or this synthroid, and you're assuming that their body is going to be able to convert it to T3. Unfortunately, that is not always the case, <clears throat> and I see it all the time. 
And I can tell you countless patients that come in and they'll say, yeah, I'm on Synthroid or my, my endo has me on levothyroxine or sometimes even tyrosine, which I do like tyrosine, um, but that is also T4. And they still feel not great. They're not, they're not optimized. And the reason is, is they're only getting the inactive thyroid hormone. So from a cellular level, their body is not absorbing the T3, which is the active thyroid hormone. Now, I'll be the first to tell you, um, I am not always willing to take someone off of Synthroid, but however, I may add in something. So when choosing a thyroid medication, there are a lot of variables that go into play, especially with the patient, um, you know, what is covered by insurance, um, cardiac history. I mean, there's lots of different variables I take into account. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes I see uh, patients who they're managed their thyroid with me and let's say they have a endocrinologist or their primary happens to check their thyroid levels and um, always we get a message, well, my doctor thinks I'm on too much thyroid medicine. Well, you know, and then I go over the symptoms, you know, are you having anxiety? Are you jittery? Are you having heart palpitations? Are you sweating? I mean, do you feel off? And a lot of times they're like, no, I feel great. So I say, all right, well, let's roll with it. Um, so, so finding the right patient for the right drug is, is definitely going to be the goal here. Um, I generally like to start low and go slow. A lot of times, especially when I have a new patient, I will try to optimize their thyroid hormone with just nutraceuticals. Again, so that's that thyroid support, maybe some adaptogens, working on their diet, getting gluten out of their diet. Um, sometimes I do things like LDN, like low dose naltrexone, which is a whole nother podcast in itself, but that is a really great way to, um, get TPO antibodies, start dropping on Hashimoto's patients. Um, the other thing that I feel like is a big, uh, gap in education with the patients is they don't know how to take their thyroid medicine appropriately. And I, and I don't know if it's, you know, patients only absorb a certain amount of information when they're, um, you know, with their provider. So it could be that the provider did tell them, but maybe they didn't remember. But, you know, taking your thyroid medication first thing in the morning on an empty stomach, waiting at least an hour um, before you take your supplements or your next prescription is going to be key or optimal for your gut to absorb it. Um, the other thing to consider is, is okay, so we talked about Synthroid, but what are the other variations that we can do? So there's Synthroid, which is T4. Levothyroxine is the other name for it. There's Tyrosin, which I really do like Tyrosin. I feel like it's like the cleaner version of Synthroid, however... Generally, you're going to have to do a prior authorization to get this approved through insurance. Um, some of the other options sometimes I use are are more of the bioidentical combos of T3 and T4. So those are going to be things like Armor, Nature Throid, um, NP Thyroid. Uh, so a lot of times I'll work with the pharmacy and I'll say, all right, you're not going to cover Armor. Can you tell me what the uh, insurance will cover? And a lot of times I'll, I'll swap out to that because I do want them to have a combination of T3 and T4. A lot of times you'll hear, um, you know, endocrinologists may not like that option. Um, and, and what it is is, you know, you have synthetic, so it's very controlled. The, you're going to get the same dose, you know, the same time, theoretically. However, if they're on genetic, there is like a 30% variability of one dose to the next dose. So, you know, if you think about, say their dose is 100 micrograms, you know, it could be, 70 micrograms or in the upper, you know, 130 micrograms, but it's labeled as 100 micrograms um, because it is generic. So sometimes I have to specifically write on a prescription, you know, brand only, non-generic because their thyroid is that sensitive. So um, that's one thing I always tell my patients, like if something doesn't feel right and you're on gener generic, you need to let me know because we might need to switch to, to brand name 
The other thing that I tell my patients a lot is if you could try to fill it at the same pharmacy, that would be ideal because they will be getting it from the same manufacturer every time. So there's that consistency or that continuity of prescription. Um, and then as far as the desiccated thyroid prescriptions, a lot of times you can fill those at the general pharmacy. Um, they're not, they're not expensive out of pocket. A lot of times I'll use the GoodRx app and that might, you know, bring them one month supply to somewhere around $20, $25. So totally doable. Um, Cytomel or leothyronine is another prescription I will write. I generally write this in combination with a T4. So I might have a patient on, again, Synthroid or levothyroxine or Tyrosine, and then I'll go ahead and write for that that leothyronine or cytomel to give them that extra T3 that they're needing because their body is not uh, converting the T4 to, to, to the T3. The other uh, kind of big topic that I see, so we have subclinical hypothyroidism where it's it's kind of like, you know, your labs are the N-word or normal, um, but they are very much symptomatic. Or maybe they're on a, a T4 prescription and they still are symptomatic. And then the last category is kind of like uh, my Hashimoto's patients. And so I see these patients all the time, all the time, all the time. Um, and a lot of times they don't know that they are uh, autoimmune Hashimoto's. And, and if they are, sometimes they don't even know the first thing about Hashimoto's. So when I get a new Hashimoto's patients, I love educating um, them about their condition because I feel like if they have a better understanding, they're going to be more committed to the plan. So there's three things that happen when we have an autoimmune condition. There's generally going to be a genetic predisposition. So somewhere along their family lines, someone had some sort of autoimmune thing. Um, there's going to be some sort of gut permeability. There's something going on with the gut. Maybe it's dysbiosis or uh, a big one is blastocystis hominis, which is a bacteria, which is why I do these poop tests all the time. Um, or another one um, could be uh, like yeast or candida overgrowth. So, so that's, a, that's another big thing that I do is I work on their gut. And then the last component um, in the kind of like the autoimmune triad is there's generally going to be some sort of stressful event. So whether it be, you know, the loss of a parent or a change of a job or a move or a divorce, something is triggering this, this um, you know, this immune breakdown. And so when that happens, these TPO antibodies start to rise and it's basically the thyroid is is kind of on high alert and it's, it's attacking itself, unfortunately. And so every lab value or lab uh, place is going to be a little bit different on what they constitute as Hashimoto's disease. According to the lab that I use, uh, a TPO antibody of nine or greater is considered um, autoimmune Hashimoto's. Now, when I have someone in the in the teens, I'm a little hesitant to say, oh yeah, you've got Hashimoto's. And I'll say, you know, you're showing antibodies, you know, to show that. But very, very often I'm able to, if, you know, they're 15, 16, working on their gut, working on their diet, working on LDN, um, getting gluten out of their diet is a big one. I can pretty much put them in Hashimoto remission by just doing those things. Now, I have had cases where I've had patients come from an endo office feeling terrible on their, you know, 200 micrograms of Synthroid and their TPO antibodies are, you know, 1200, 1500. And I've actually been able to drop them by switching them from a T4 to a T3, T4 combo or a desiccated thyroid prescription, throwing in some LDN, taking gluten out of their diet, working on their stress and really just optimizing their vitamins and really kind of seeing some nice decline of their TPO antibodies. Um, so it's very, very common. I mean, it's, it's not, it's, you know, Hashimoto's is not a death sentence by any means, but I think having a good understanding of what are the lifestyle changes I need to make because 
more of it is going to be than just taking a prescription. It's it's what you put in your mouth. It's what's in your environment. It's how you handle stress. It's how do you handle your body. Um, it's it's everything. Some of the things that I do to kind of help get the ball rolling from a lifestyle perspective, and that's that's kind of what I practice is more of the lifestyle medicine. So what can I do on my own without taking a prescription to help improve my condition? So I will work on the gut specifically. I, you know, will look more in depth than just, um, you know, a colonoscopy or an endoscopy. I will do the, um, the stool test and it'll tell me if you've got infection, inflammation, insufficiency, imbalance. A lot of times I do food sensitivities. That's a big one that I do, especially when I'm looking at things like gluten and eggs and dairy and the more common triggers of inflammation. Um, I'll try to balance their sugar um, because when they're having upswings and downswings, those can be triggers of inflammation. And so we're trying to minimize inflammation as much as we can. Sometimes I use things like turmeric or curcumin. Um, Those are really good things to do to reduce some of the inflammation. Working on sleep is a big one. Um, Balancing out adrenal glands, looking more specifically at the hormones. That's kind of um, the big thing that I do is is balancing out the hormones. Um, Using using some of the... um, bioidentical hormone replacement in order to help with that. Uh, working on uh, rest and, and just stress management in general is going to be huge. If they come back um, on their stool test and have something like uh, coincides with like leaky gut, that is definitely something that we need to work on and we need to kind of uh, fix the gut permeability in order for us to to kind of move forward with the Hashimoto's. Some of the common supplements that I use for healing the gut are things like L-glutamine, zinc, NAC, omega-3s, which are your anti-inflammatories, and then um, just plain old vitamin D is a good one. Right at 20 minutes. So um, like I said, thyroid is, is one of the topics that is one of my favorite things to treat with my patients. It's one of my favorite things to manage. And it's really one of my favorite things to educate patients on just because I feel like if they know, they're going to be more empowered and more committed to whatever the game plan is. I will be honest, it can be super duper overwhelming. That that second appointment with me where I have all the lab results in and I'm going over you know, Hashimoto's and what does this mean and how it's related. And oh, by the way, here are all the supplements you need to take and and it can be very very um overwhelming so there are a couple resources that i that i frequently will recommend to patients one of them is a book called the thyroid solution um and that is by dr amy myers um another one is uh the Hashimoto Protocol by Dr. Isabella Wentz. That's another really good one. And then um, Amy Myers has another one. I think it's like Autoimmune Protocol, maybe the other book. Um, but those are all three really, really, really good books on if you want to learn more about your condition or just thyroid in general, I think is going to be key. Um, there'll probably be another part two podcast on like lab values and what what normal range is and how are we going to get to that range and um, and how I specifically look at the lab values. So stay tuned for that next episode, but I hope you found this helpful. If you guys have any questions, feel free to send me an email at udirecthealth at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at udirecthealth. Check out our Instagram page at udirecthealth underscore aesthetics, um, and we will catch you at the next episode. This is a test. We will determine the audio and voiceover of the podcast. Testing one, two, three.